Hi everyone, welcome to Sells to Sell podcast. My name is Heem Vanyawala. And my name is Nick Petrosi. And we have uh, exciting things to talk about, especially in the field of regenerative medicine. So our goal here for this podcast is two main things. One, we want to provide the public with knowledge about things they thought they could never understand. So in this context, regenerative medicine. The name itself is a little bit daunting, but our goal here is to help you guys understand that the science is easy to understand if you can break it down to its fundamentals and see how it can impact people. And two, we want to provide a platform to those who have spent years developing a product that have not gotten the proper recognition they deserve. Yeah, so we plan on just bringing in um, people from around the scientific community who have been involved with stem cells um, and really this cutting-edge science so they can kind of have a place where they can just, you know, kind of be real with the public. It's it's really hard for, you know, scientists to get out there and sometimes kind of, you know, be believed, but this would be, we feel like this is a great place for them to come and just share some experiment, like share some experiences, share kind of what they've been doing in their experiments and, you know, what their next steps are, how they want to take these from mouse models into humans and, you know, how they kind of want to, you know, attack a certain um, disease or a certain um, condition. And I think that's that's really interesting. So he just go ahead and tell everybody where you're from, kind of what you're doing here, how you got here, um, just so the people can have a little bit of a, a background of you. Okay, great. So my full name is Heem Vanyawala. Um, I did my undergrad at Michigan State University in human biology. And I found this master's here at Case in regenerative medicine and entrepreneurship because I didn't do too well on my MCAT. And I was really inspired by the medical field because being a doctor is really great, but I was really inspired by the people that create the things that doctors use. So for example, if a certain procedure, a doctor is told to know who created that procedure, what goes behind it, how many animals has it been tested on, all these different things. And I think that's a big inspiration for what um, we're doing here on this podcast too because regenerative medicine when I first started this program was so cool to me. We learned so many different things that we'll go over in this podcast, but that's just basically my source of inspiration. And um, what about you, Nick? What got you into regenerative medicine and what's your background? Yeah, so... um my name is Nick Petrosi. Um, I am from, you know, I'm from the Cincinnati area. Um, I went to a small Catholic university and studied cellular and molecular biology. Um, and I also really wanted to go to medical school, but I also did very bad on my MCAT. So I decided to look for other options. And, you know, I, Case Western kind of just fell on my lap, this regenerative medicine entrepreneurship program. Um, just kind of came along and I applied and the curriculum looked unbelievable and you know I'm a first year graduate student here I've been in Cleveland for a month and a half and I absolutely love it um, the science is so interesting I love the cutting edge I agree with you as a doctor I thought that all of the new procedures and everything were so cool but you know where where does that come from you know I took classes where we talked about the FDA and we talked about you know analogs and making drugs and testing everything but um, you know, coming up here and, you know, meeting people f- who have worked personally with the FDA or have been on committees for the FDA, um, you know, it's really eye-opening to see just how much work it, like, goes into these new medicines. And when we get into the cell therapies that we're going to talk about, we're going to understand that, um, you know, a lot of stuff isn't with the times yet. You know, these MSCs seem a little ahead of their time, but it's so cool to be a part of it and learn about it while it's actually happening. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm just happy to be up here. It's it's so cool. I'm I'm really glad we started this podcast and um, let's let's kinda just talk about some of the topics we're gonna go over. So um, for the listeners who don't know, Case Western Reserve University is based in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, the National Center of Regenerative Medicine is also hosted by Case Western, so a lot of the things that we will talk about uh, we've seen firsthand and we've met professors who are uh, very much involved with the cutting-edge research. 
Um, Nick, why don't you tell them about our podcast name? Why is it Sells to Sell? So Sells to Sell, um, you know, is a play on words, obviously. But this podcast is going to focus on not only the science, but we want to really touch on the industry, too, and understand how we take things from the bench to the bedside. Um, who's, you know, where's the money coming from? Where's the money going? How's it being dumped back into research? So um, really we're looking at it from, we're gonna be looking at things from the cellular level um, and anatomically in, in the human body. And even we're gonna talk about some animal models as well. Um, but we're also gonna look at, you know, if you, if you have an idea and you want to, you know, pursue it in a lab and you think you found something kind of, you know, not necessarily a guide, but you know, just, kind of what the industry is like, what it feels like, how you can kind of feel out, you know, you know, how to network, how how to find connections, how to get funding from the government versus, you know, private funding and all that kind of stuff. Because it's really important. Everybody, every new medicine needs that. Um, so, you know, it's kind of to inspire people working from at the bench to, you know, you know, look at the broad scope, look at everything that you're doing and how you want to move forward and attack it. Just just go and have fun with it. I think for people who aren't in the medical industry, sometimes you can think that, hey, if stem cells exist, why don't I have opportunity to get it? So our podcast will, prob will definitely go over how the ethics work behind this kind of stuff too. Because yes, that stem cells are an amazing thing, but there's a lot of testing that has to go behind it because we don't want to give something to a patient that we don't know works. Right. That would go against the whole purpose of medicine. We want to give something to people that we know is good, is works well, and can actually heal them. And I think it's important to understand that if if we were test if people were testing these cells and they didn't, see, or they they were testing this medicine, these therapies, and they didn't see any you know, positive outcomes compared to what we already have now, the field would be dead. Like no one would be doing anything. No one would be researching and in, in doing tissue engineering or working with, you know, MSCs to, to find these cures. But there's been a lot of promise with these studies. And I think that's why there's so much interest um, and there's so much buzz around this field is because the Right now, the, the world is our oyster. The sky's the limit. We can, we've seen potential to do a lot of really, really cool things that, you know, some molecule made in a, in a lab, you know, just a single chemical or a combination of chemicals just doesn't do as good. So, you know, it's important to understand that, you know, this medicine is like brand new. Like it's really new. So there, you know, there comes, like coming with that is, you know, a lot of regulations and trying to, you know, work it out with the FDA and how, like, how you can test what you can do. So um, it gets it gets pretty thick when you get into that portion. But at the same time, the medicine is so exciting. Um, and that's why we are focusing on it. I think another thing we'll touch on is the money that goes behind it. Because sometimes saying that these treatments exist is good, but at the same time, there'll be a couple million dollars to even get the treatment. And sometimes to people that seems a bit unethical, that hey, medicine is supposed to be for everybody. How can one person heal more than me just because they have money? And we'll delve into that a little bit. It's because the reagents and everything that goes behind creating medicines is so expensive that to get maybe to break even on the research, each dose of these next generation therapies have to be so expensive. And you will see that if any profit is made, most of it, especially at Case Western, is reinvested into more research to help more people. So there are things that I feel like people who aren't in this industry will not know about. Yeah. And we'll definitely get into it. And that being said, let's just go into what regenerative medicine means and um, the different um, areas of uh, disciplines in this in this field. Yeah, there's there's a ton. It's it's like an umbrella. You know, regenerative medicine is like right at the top, but you know everything stems from it. Um, so one of the biggest things that we talk about is tissue engineering. So creating new tissues um, from cell lines to either um, enhance, you know, or replace injured tissue. 
Um, that's important. So bone marrow transplants, those are those are used all the time. They've been used since the 70s and the 80s, even in humans, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and I don't know. I, tissue engineering is the one that you know really comes to mind. Um, I'm trying to think. There are different types of stem cells. So there's um, like mesenchymal stem cells, um, which actually Arnold Kaplan founded here at Case Western, which is very very cool. Um, there's also uh, hematopoietic cells. Um, so those are blood cells that can you know turn into a bunch of different stuff. And you know the sky's kind of the limit. So when you talk about tissue engineering, that to me seems more like you're creating something, a whole entire tissue from the lab and then giving it to somebody. So like what are the different applications of this stuff? Because from my research, I've read that if an athlete has an injured shoulder, tissue engineering basically means that you could theoretically with stem cells make an entire tendon and give it to the person to restore their function and, and, and in effect regenerate their ability yeah. to to play well yeah I, I think that I think that we get bogged down with the word engineering I think people think I think when people hear that word engineering they think of you know building something they think of building something from the ground up like a bridge okay um, you know and people who have ever you know torn something in their shoulder or their knee, they know that it's really painful and that the healing process is very, very slow. And one of the things that I find promising in this tissue engineering field is um, the combination of using stem cells and um, almost like implants, bio, you know, biocompatible materials that actually work as scaffolds for these cells to build on in order to not only regain, you know, um, you know, movement with the knee or the shoulder, but it also helps strengthen and give more of a natural feel rather than me just putting in a rubber tendon into your shoulder or knee. Um, and I think that that is really cool how you can create those tendons kind of from, you know, somewhere else. Who knows? We don't know where the, where the best, you know, tenocytes or, you know, tendon stem cells could be um, derived from, but um, studies continue to show that there's there's pretty good chance that eventually we'll have that. And um, when you think of the word tissue, what comes to mind for me at least is I think of oh maybe muscle or fat. It's right. It's okay, but um, it's fine. So basically, tissues basically to me means muscle or fat, but in reality, a tissue can be anything. Oh, it can be absolutely. heart. It can be your eye cells, it can be your skin, it can be things in your throat, it can be... Well, I think it's important to understand the hierarchy of um, differentiation, or I forget what it's called, but it's, it's taught in um, first-year anatomy and physiology and even sometimes in biology, how you go from um, an atom to a molecule to a cell to a tissue, so it's a group of different, it's a group of the same cells working together to perform a function, and then those tissues come together to make an organ, right. th that organ performs a function, and then you know you go all the way up to organ systems and then to an organism. Um, so from a, from a definition standpoint, tissue is that, you know, if we're literally engineering tissue, we're creating cells that are able to work and live together to perform a function and hopefully it's a natural function that we want to replace in your body. Yeah, so now if we delve into another discipline of regenerative medicine, we, we run into gene therapy. Now this is interesting because gene therapy is all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Genes run our body. They ha they're basically instruction manuals of how you work. Yeah. And when your genes go wrong, that's basically the problem that you need to fix. Yeah. And there's a different types of gene therapies and in your experience or in your education, what do you, what do you think gene therapy means? So, I, like I said, I was a I was a cellular and molecular bi I have a degree in cellular and molecular biology, so I've taken, you know, a bunch of classes that regard genetics. 
um, and you know molecular genetics and, and you know general genetics. Uh, but one of my favorite genetics classes I took was uh, virology, and uh, the topic of viral vectors and bacteriophages and delivering DNA and RNA to other cells. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, so we we have used um, lentiviral vectors, is what they're called, um, in gene therapy in you know say cancer patients, um, and they they show promise and you know they actually use lentiviral vectors with stem cells to um, add genes or or delete genes. You know there's there's a bunch of different ways that we can do it, um, but no, I, I there's there's plenty of different ways to incorporate new DNA or, or take out DNA. Another great example is the CRISPR-Cas9 system um, that was actually found in bacteria, um, and that's how they actually fought off viruses in the past, and that's how they evolved. And, you know, I don't remember the, the gentleman's name or who found it, um, but he saw that, he, he saw it in bacterial DNA. He was like, I wonder if this works on humans, and it did. It absolutely did. So um, that's, those are just two of the tools that we can use um, you know, to, to genetically modify cells to give them functions or take away functions. So when I think of gene therapy, in my experience, I feel like there's a few different ways you can approach it. So for diabetics, for example, they have a problem in their pancreas and their beta islet cells mm -hmm. that they don't produce enough insulin. So the type of gene therapy you would give them is the type of things that would make something. Whereas in cancer patients, they have too much production of a certain protein and genes that makes the cancer very toxic to the person. So the types of genes you would have to give some cancer patients would be the type that interfere mm -hmm. and slow things down. So there's different approaches to gene therapy. If there's something lacking, you gotta send the genes that would help your cells make something that's missing. Whereas if there's something that's cancerous and there's too much proliferation and too much creation of something that's offsetting the balance in your body, you would send in genes that kind of slow that down. So there's different approaches to all of this yeah. and it goes hand in hand with stem cells and it goes hand in hand with tissue engineering and all these dis disciplines of regenerative medicine kind of play in on each other and there's some researchers that actually do multiple of these things. There are some researchers that try and do gene therapy for stem cells because stem cells, if they go wrong inside your body, you can fix them. And there's a company called Convelo Therapeutics here um, that kind of spun off of one of the labs here at Case. They are involved in remyelination of your neurons. And they basically develop small molecules that go and target your neuronal stem cells in your body to try regrow your myelin sheath and in, in effect yeah. letting your neurons grow back their full ability and in, in, in conclusion regenerating your ability to and that well and that's incredible because for a long time a lot of you know physiologists believe that you know once you hit a certain age your nerves are done if you have any nerve damage sorry about it like you're not gonna you know regain function in that leg or you're not going to be able to do that and you know remyelinating those sheets or remyelinating re those cells um, putting those myelin sheets back on is so important um, because you know it allows that correct you know electrical stimulus to continue down um, those cells and to that actual potential you know at a much faster and efficient rate where you can actually you know use that body use those fingers use those limbs so that, that company is awesome. I don't need to look them up because I have not heard of them. They sound great. Definitely. And so another discipline of regenerative medicine is nanomedicine. Now, nanomedicine is something that I'm particularly a big fan of because this summer I worked in a, in a lab in Dr. Zhengrong Lu's lab on in the fourth floor of Wickenden. Um, he, the work he's done and the work his PhDs have accomplished are incredible. Um, he actually developed a nanoparticle himself that has he has patents on and it's a lipid nanoparticle and the way the, the, the reason that nanoparticles were even developed in the first place is because medications 
have been administered in the past to affect every single cell in your body, which is kind of counterintuitive. You don't want to give somebody a medication in places that don't need them. For example, if your liver has a problem, why are you taking an oral medication that's going to be delivered to your entire body? And, and in fact, you're giving yourself a higher dose of this medication because just to try get a liver to your liver and give it a good enough dose of that medication, you got to fit so much of that medication and that and, and the chemical inside of a pill that's also going elsewhere in your body. So these nanoparticles were developed because they have a really good ability of delivering medications directly to the area that's needed. So inside of these nanoparticles, you can either put RNA, DNA, and any sort of medication. And on the outside, you can put these targeting ligands, with our, which are just small peptides, that can actually be highly specific to a protein that exhibits only on the liver, for example. And I think that's really cool. And what do you think about nanomedicine? So I plan on taking that, I plan on taking that elective um, next semester um, in the spring of 2023. And I'm very excited about it because um, I hear trigger words um, that make me smile. And one of those are, um, you, you call them ligands. I call them ligands. Ligands, okay. ligands. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's spelled the same. Tomato, tomato. So, but I, I, I think that's so important because um, one thing I learned when I took medicinal chemistry in undergrad, um, and one thing that did seem counterintuitive is why, if I'm trying to target something in the liver, why am I causing toxicity in my brain? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? right? And, you know, using those kind of, that systemic approach of, oh, I, here's a pill, I hope it I hope it sticks. It's like throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks and choosing which, like, you know, so finding, you know, spe- medicine that's specific to cells, to specific causes, um, you know, is important. And, you know, we're going to talk about a paper in a little bit um, by um, Mr. Arnold, or Dr. Arnold Kaplan. I'm assuming he's a doctor. Yes. Um, and... Um, one thing that he talks about is, you know, as great as these MSCs are, um, you know, it, it, it goes along with tailoring them towards nanomedicine. How can we make them more specific? How can we target the correct things and not cause any toxicity? Um, so I think nanomedicine is an awesome field. From, from what I've heard, it's so cool how you can be specific with a drug just by putting DNA or RNA in a lip in just like a little lipid yeah, you know, sphere. Right. Like it's it's so cool. A little micelle is, I think is it a micelle? They can be micelles, but they can also be kind of like a bi like if you can, can they have a bilayer? They're not a they're not a bilayer like your cells, mm-hmm. but they are protective with a lipid. Okay. A, a fatty yeah. acid chain. Right. So they won't become a bilayer, but there's only one of them, but that's good enough for its purpose. Yeah. And something that's really cool is that there's some researchers that are developing um, nanoparticles that are made out of, for example, iron. And the reason that's so cool is because you can actually magnetically home these nanoparticles to the area of injury. So let's say there's a certain part of your brain that you want to deliver some medication to. You can put a cap on somebody, Mm -hmm. inject somebody through an IV with all these nanoparticles, and as they're circulating, you can turn on an area of this cap where these nanoparticles will magnetically home to because they're made out of a metal. And the fact that you can actually choose where these nanoparticles want to go, not only with a, because let's say this part of your brain doesn't exhibit any proteins that are highly specific to that area. Yeah. Then you don't really have the option of putting a ligand or a ligand on the outside of this nanoparticle so it can go specifically to that area. So then you run into the issue of how do you get it to that specific area. Yeah. And that's how you do it. It's like you have these metal organic nanoparticles that you can actually turn on magnetically through a cap or something in your brain and it goes to that area. And the potential of something like this is huge because some people are even developing nanoparticles that are made out of gold. 
And gold is a type of metal that doesn't really oxidize, so it's very safe. It'll stain you, and literally, it's putting ice in your veins. You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> in a way, it's just like it's funny how that all turns out in, in medicine, and you know, I, that culturally, yeah, the it's funny. The, yeah, the that entire field though is incredible. It really is, and. I think it's important to understand that a lot of these treatments are not just like, you know, I just give you one treatment and you cure. Like, there's a lot of combination therapies um, that are involved with these. So, you know, even talking about, you know, the the iron one, the iron nanoparticles that can travel, you know, localize, you know, magnetically localize in your brain um, through, you know, an outside source, whether it's me holding something to your head or a helmet. you know, the, you know, it all it all just doesn't work necessarily on its own. Like they they need help, they need their hands held, um, and you know, figuring that out is just as big as finding the medicine in the first place. So, um, yeah, what other what other topics are we going to talk about? So we went over tissue engineering, we went over gene therapy, we went over nanomedicine, and now for the rest of this podcast, we're going to be focusing on one of the most important parts of the industry, which are stem cells. Yes. Now, stem cells, when I first heard of them, I did not know what to think of them. Like, what is a stem cell? Like, how does it work? Where do you get them from? How, like, what what, what makes a stem cell so great as people talk about them? Yeah, well, I think that the general consensus of stem cells is that, like, they're exciting and scary. Um, but if I think if you walked up to a light person on the street and you was like, "Hey, what, what's a stem cell?" They would say, they would hopefully say, a cell that can turn into any other cell in your body. Um, and a good definition of what most people think of stem cells are um, totipotent stem cells. They think that you can take a cell and you can derive it and you know manipulate it to become any tissue that you want. Um, and in some cases, that's true. Um, it's very hard, but um, you know, there are other, um, let's say, less formable stem cells out there. Um, so we're going to talk about MSCs today, mesenchymal stem cells, um, and those can derive, a, you know, a bunch of different tissues. They can't do everything, but they can, you know, um, they can be taken from fat, they can be taken from um, your arteries or, you know, the, your parasites is what they're called. Um, but you can also get, you can also have them make muscle, and you can have them make fat, and you can have them make bone. And you know, there's, you know, each different type of cell can, you know, be kind of specialized into its own thing. So um, it's it's a very tricky kind of road, but um, once you kind of just lay it out, it's it's actually really really nice and you know set for everybody. So Nick mentioned earlier that the two types of stem cells that exist are the mesenchymal stem cells and the hematopoietic stem cells. So the hematopoietic stem cells can make all of your blood products. So we're talking about red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, macrophages, T cells, kind of things that are made by your immune system. And these stem cells reside in your bone marrow, so inside your bone. Now the other type of stem cells that are responsible for making all the other tissue types in your body are called mesenchymal stem cells. This is what Dr. Arnold Kaplan is known for. He's responsible for naming them. And in fact, he goes over in his paper that we'll include when we post this podcast. It's called MSCs, The New Medicine. And in this paper, he delves into what mesenchymal stem cells are. There's a beautiful figure that shows the differentiation lineage of all these different types. Mm -hmm. So how to make, for example, bone, how to make fat, how to make muscle, all these different things. And he also goes over the properties of these stem cells and how a stem cell can not only turn into another cell, but it can also recruit your immune system by releasing some things called exosomes. And these exosomes are responsible for recruiting things that will help your your body naturally also heal. And the reason that he calls this, he Dr. Kaplan, who I'm referring to, is kind of says in his paper that why MSCs should be renamed medicinal signal cells is because what I just mentioned. They not only have the properties to turn into other cells, 
but they also have immunomodulation, meaning that they can recruit other things. So not only do they turn themselves, not only do stem cells themselves turn into other cells, but they can also recruit your immune system and other things. So there's this dual property of stem cells is what makes them the new medicine. It's not just giving somebody a drug and hoping that it would help and fix itself. You are literally creating new tissue, and on top of that, you're recruiting your immune system to help you in healing. So I think I, I want to continue that point because you know, the new this really is the new medicine, and this is really why we're making the podcast. And, you know, as students, we want to continue to learn, and, you know, as we learn, we want to share. Um, so one thing that I found really, really interesting was um, it's not just about the stem cells just, like, sticking. And you, you mentioned the releasing of their exosomes. So that's literally the cells, you know, putting things out into the environment and what they do is they create this you know immunomodulatory environment um, that promotes um, that promotes you know tissue regeneration and tissue um, healing um, which is important so one of the cool things that I found from this paper was um, yeah I'll just look at my book I, I had it but I, I lost my train of thought um, or was it? So, oh, they, oh, Lord, I'm messing up. Hold on. For our listeners, we're, we will include the link to this paper. It's a part of a book. It's actually chapter 23. And um, we go over how MSCs, these mesenchymal stem cells or these medicinal signaling cells, the way, the area in your body in which they reside, they are called pericytes. And peri basically means on the side. So these are cells that reside on the side. And for example, your fat has these MSCs in your microenvironment is the term used to kind of talk about the environment where your cell is, where your tissue is, where the organ is, and how the immune cells kind of all exist in this tiny environment. It's like its own, like if you can imagine a big building, your microenvironment would be your little classroom. It's part of this bigger thing. And in this classroom, you have your professors who would basically be the stem cells. Mm -hmm. Those professors are responsible for teaching us, helping us, helping us grow. In that same context, mesenchymal stem cells are located in every microenvironment of your body. So in a building, there's all these different types of classrooms, and in each classroom there's a professor. The same way in your body, there's all these different tissue types. And within those tissue types, there are these stem cells. And these stem cells are responsible in the microenvironment to help these grow. And that's how Dr. Kaplan came up with the idea that MSCs are pericytes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention that um, pericytes also sit on your blood vessels. So you said that every microenvironment, um, and they kind of monitor what's going in and out of the bloodstream. Um, and this kind of takes me into my next point of, um, you know, we've been talking up these MSCs for so, like, you know, for I don't know how long we've been recording. And, you know, it, they are really great medicines, and they're, you know, they're great leads to help with a lot of different diseases. Um, Bahim, what are some of the bad things that we've heard about stem cells? You know, why are people kind of, you know, hesitant to, you know, just throw these MSCs into bodies and just see what they do? Like, what, what, what do we see that could be potentially harmful? That is a great thing to bring up because... We've actually been, you're right, we've been talking these up a lot, but yeah. the reason we have an extensive research um, behind these stem cells... And, and the reason that th this is, it takes, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to make one of these cell lines. Like, these are not cheap cell lines you can make at home in your kitchen. Definitely. Like, they're, like that's one of the big drawbacks is the price. Um, that's definitely one of the things. So there's two main things that come to mind when I think about the drawbacks of stem cells. Mm -hmm. One of them is that to have an effective dose for stem cells, you have to have 20 million, for example, mm -hmm. for a specific cause that yeah. you wanna try to treat. And having that 
potent of a dose with that many stem cells that are rich and actually very fresh, if you will, and they're, they're, they have the ability to do their job is difficult to get. And the other thing is that stem cells, because they're so good at healing, sometimes they will overdo themselves and they'll actually become cancerous. So there have been stories and papers of how stem cells have actually become cancerous because since they're so responsible for the healing, they do a lot of proliferation, they keep growing. And sometimes that growth can be too much and that can become cancerous. Yeah. So imagine if you're trying to treat somebody with who has cancer, but when you give them stem cells and you tell them that they're healed and you charge them $1.5 million and they get cancer from those same stem cells, yeah. that's counterintuitive. That goes against our whole point yeah. of using stem cells. And actually, I'm glad you brought up, um, you know, stem cells causing cancer or, you know, what the FDA would look at as oncogenesis, yeah. right, the creation of new cancer. Um, and one thing that Dr. Kaplan actually talks about in his paper is um, when you insert these cells into the body, when you, when you, you know, put them through an IV, um, you know, kind of two things happen. The first thing is that a majority of those cells actually get lodged in the lungs, which I thought was really interesting. Like they don't even like make it through like the pulmonary system. Like and the ones that do escape through, you know, still have a chance of not sticking in the right spot. Are you sticking um, unless like we're using specific targeting? Um, the other thing is you'll notice that in a lot of these papers that we're going to read and we're going to talk about, um, a lot of these people will not be allowed to join the study if, if they have cancer because these MSCs will actually disregard any inflammation um, or any injury and they will go reside in those tumors and they will actually, you know, force the, not force those tumors to grow, but they will almost stimulate those tumors to grow because, you know, if we're immunosuppressing that environment and we don't have our, um, our T cells and our you know, lymphocytes coming in and trying to attack that cancer because they know that, that it's alien, um, you know, that can be very problematic. But a solution to that would be genetically modifying those stem cells when they come in contact with those tumors to just go ahead and release a gene that causes apoptosis or cell death. Um, and that was one thing that he also mentioned in his paper that I thought was really interesting. So with all these drawbacks, there's also ways that we might be able to work around it. And that's why this you know, regenerative medicine field is so fresh because there's a lot of different directions we can take it. So I think the whole point that you brought up that stem cells can lodge in the lung is so important because to our listeners, let's just go through a little thought process, okay? So imagine that you have a bruise on your arm, but the stem cells you're receiving are to try to fix something that's wrong in your liver. Now these stem cells, because they're these cells in your body that's purpose is to heal. Imagine that you put an IV in somebody's arm. Now this IV, and you infuse 20 million stem cells, okay? These stem cells will circulate throughout your body. Like Nick said, it'll go through your lungs, it'll go through your heart. And what if it also stops by the area in your arm which you have that bruise? Your stem cells will know based on the proteins that are being released from that bruised area that, hey, this area of injury needs help. So what if out of those 20 million cells, 5 million of them go and try and heal your bruise when your entire intention was to try to heal your liver? So imagine that you're sending something with a great purpose of trying to heal your liver through an IV, but half of them will go and get stuck in three different areas. Yeah. One to your bruised arm, one in your lungs, and some of them in your heart. And then out of that, 10 million of them trying to heal your liver, but you realize that to heal your liver, you actually needed 20 million yeah. of them. So that's the drawbacks of these stem cells. And the whole, if you wouldn't think about the future of medicine, you want to get better technology. That means you don't want to cut people open as much and sew them back up. You want something that's so smart that you can just put in an IV and it goes to the area. So that's why 
it's really difficult to use stem cells because they're just so good at healing that they will heal things in your body because nothing is ever going to, no one is ever perfect, Right. you know, inside your body. There's something always going wrong. So these off-target effects that we talk about are, is, is a big drawback to stem cells. And figuring that out is a big thing because if you were to heal somebody's liver and you wanted to give them stem cells, cutting them open, putting all those stem cells right on your liver is one way. But if we think about the future of medicine, we want to do something that is all encapsulating, something that is so non-invasive but also very effective. Yeah, and um, at the very end of the Kaplan paper we are covering today, um, he I, I wrote down the five things that he went through. And I just, you know, he, he said before this medicine becomes the state of the art he he had five different things that he brought up and we can talk about each of them so kind of already talked about the first one's targeting um, he wants to make sure that this medicine is correct is going to the correct tissue right why if i'm trying to heal your liver why would i want to heal the bruise on your arm first that bruise is going to go away no matter what right right like that's just going to be natural right we need your liver to kind of regenerate a little bit because you can't live without a liver. Yes. You can live with a bruise, right? So, it, you know, the biggest thing was the targeting. Um, so he also talked about one of the cool things that he talked about was how you can take different parasites from different parts of the body and see how those affect different types of um, injuries. So say that you had a heart attack. You know, what if I were to give you stem cells, what stem cells would be best? Would it be from your bone marrow? Would it True. be from um, Would it be from your fat? You know, would it be from your muscle? Where kind of where? Um, what would give the best kind of? He, he talks about um, assays. So you know the test, the testing of which tissue fits best, um, and kind of profiling all of these cells on you know what would be the best way to use them. Um, I mean, I can go into the other ones. Um, let's see. So. He also said that personal medicine needs personal assays. So I have to be able to, stem cells don't necessarily need a perfect match, but you need to kind of be a little bit compatible um, with them. It's not like a blood transfusion where you need to have the exact same blood type or um, or something very close to yours that has, you know, different antigens. Um, but you know, you need to be compatible. So would my parasites help you, Heme? I don't know. Would yours help me? We don't know. But you know, maybe my um, brothers might be able to help me, or my I might mine might be able to help my dad. Um, so it's kind of figuring out how we can really you know scope in on that personalized medicine um, and get good outcomes rather than just kind of you know guessing. So we actually mentioned earlier this concept of microenvironment, and I think that goes hand in hand with what Nick is saying because it turns out that stem cells become adjusted to their environment the longer that you are alive. So a child before under the age of 14, a young adult, will have stem cells that are have more ability and more fluidity to turn into other tissue types. But when you're an adult, your cells have 18 years of being so stuck in that in microenvironment that they pick up some of those properties. So if you have fat stem cells, it turns out when you grow them in the lab, they actually have a better ability to proliferate and grow into big amounts, to very, very large amounts, because fat is also that type of tissue. Mm -hmm. It grows really, really quickly. But when you look at things like cardiac stem cells, cardiac stem cells, if you try to grow them in the lab, they won't proliferate as much because cardiac cells aren't proliferative. Mm -hmm. So it's actually interesting that if you wanted to give somebody a sort of stem cell where like Nick brought up would which tissue type matters can you just give somebody some fat cells and give them to their cardiac tissue but then it turns out those cardiac tissues proliferate too much and you have heart cancer that's not good mm -hmm. if you want to give somebody stem cells from cardiac for a cardiac disease you should probably source cells from an area that's similar to the properties that are existing on 
cardiac cells. Yeah. No, I think, and again, it's like that whole matching thing is important. And it, it it's kind of a, it carries over into like his fourth and um, penultimate point is, um, you know, when we do these personalized assays, we need an analytical way to look at these measurements and to look at how effective these cells are. So usually with, you know, just your normal everyday drugs like aspirin, ibuprofen, um, you know, those were extensively tested in the lab, but they were able to get numbers for them. It's really hard with these stem cells to get definitive numbers and answers to determine, you know, which one works best for this versus that. Um, and then finally, it, it goes back into the FDA um, conversation we had a little bit earlier, um, but Dr. Kaplan suggested um, long, extensive public follow-ups. We need a place where not only researchers but patients can go on and talk about adverse effects and how we can fix them. Because again, you know, I could give you, if I could give you stem cells after you had a heart attack to help you recover, would it be worth it if these stem cells gave you a tumor on your heart? Yeah. Like, right? Like, you would much rather just do the normal recovery and, you know, sit out of whatever for six, eight months and wear um, all, like, the protective gear to mo and, you know, monitoring gear rather than me inject you with something that could, you know, take your life in three weeks. And I think that, it, again, it's looking for that balance of, you know, we're not going to put new technology on the market or available to patients if it isn't as effective as the one before. Um, and that's kind of, you know, where this field is bouncing back and forth. And, you know, we're seeing a lot, I think, I think from what I've read and from what I've learned and what I've seen, even in my, you know, five weeks, four weeks, three weeks here, um, you know, I think we're, I think that the researchers are really overcoming that. And there's a lot of um, potential with these cell therapies. I totally agree with you. And I think the point you brought up about how we can't give cells to somebody just because stem cells in theory are great. Right. You know, they have to be tested. And I hope the listeners are understanding that, like, the reason that all these therapies need hundreds of millions of dollars is because if we were to say an FDA has an approved product, it has to be tested. It has to be efficacious. Or else, what's the point of giving you something that doesn't work? Right. And charging you $1.5 million per dose, that would be that's, idiotic. Yeah, right? and, and that's not that's not good. And, you know, saying stem cells, the word itself sounds really great. But there's a lot of, thing that, a lot of things that go behind stem cells, the Absolutely. science behind it. And even the age of your donor, if you have a donor that's younger, their cells are actually more energetic and they have more potential to heal you way better than an older donor. So there's a lot of different things you have to do and sometimes to see cause versus effect in biology is really, really difficult. There's a lot of parameters you have to control and you'll see on some of these FDA um, clinical trials, they don't even allow people with some cancers to get some treatments because not only does that person has to have a specific cancer, they have to have a certain stage they're in and they have to have such controlled parameters to mm -hmm. see whether the stem cell thing worked or not. Yeah. Because if you give it to somebody who's in stage one cancer and you give them stem cells and they heal, but then you also give them chemotherapy, you're kind of wondering, did the stem cells do the work? Did the chemotherapy do the work? Did your own immune system come and help you out? What's, what's really going on? So it's really difficult because biology it's hard to control things in biology. There's still a lot of things we don't know. A lot of processes that we haven't discovered yet. Yeah. And a lot of downstream effects of something like stem cells. If they become cancerous, what made them cancerous? Is it, could, Can they be combined with another medication? For example, could you give them a drug and stem cells that prevents that cancer from yeah. happening? Do you give them gene therapy with the stem cells? All of these different kinds of things. Yeah, and it goes back to the combination therapy conversation we had earlier is, you know, none of these cells are just given by themselves a lot of the time. Um, you know, they're, they're either changed in the lab and given or, um, you know, they're given with a couple different types of medications to either, um, well, it's not either they, what they do is they alter. They might be altering that microenvironment that those MSCs create. 
um, they might be altering the genetics of that MSC to, you know, to create new genes to that maybe recruits, you know, more, um, more um, white blood cells in the immune system. Um, and I think the the thing that I messed up on earlier that I couldn't remember that I wanted to say about MSC is that, um, and you brought it up with the bruises that these cells are, you know, they have such a craving to go to spots of inflammation. Yeah. And that's why they're so, that's why, you know, they're so, um, you know, kind of sought out for is because they are true, they are true healers. They yeah. really want to go in and change that environment to get that tissue back to normal as fast as possible. Um, and, you know, finding the, the right medications and the right timing and, you know, the we're going to, I definitely plan on talking about the FDA a bunch in this um, in this series, but I I think that understanding even like the basics of how the FDA works and how they operate and how long it takes and how much they really care about patient safety because it's important. Like, you know, humans aren't guinea pigs. Humans aren't, we, we can't treat humans like we treat the mice we do like in our lab and, you know, test and cut open. Um, you know, we, we need to take care of these people when they're sick and they need help. They wouldn't volunteer um, or be recruited for FDA trials if, if they weren't really seeking help. So, um, the you know, the overall goal is to, to help and save as many people as possible. Um, and I think that this field is, again, like I've said multiple times, this field is on a great path um, from what I've seen so far. One last thing about stem cells that I... I feel like we didn't mention we did, we kind of mentioned that they have you got to have a donor that has matching blood type and things but if anybody is listening and has seen the movie Venom it's when you see Venom going into Brock or when you see Venom going into the main character the main character was strong enough to have this Venom kind of be compatible with the guy We've seen Venom go into other humans that have had rejection because a human isn't strong enough. The same kind of concept applies to stem cells. Yeah. And it's called graft versus host disease. Your graft is what you're giving the patient, and the, ho the patient is the host. So somebody can give a graft to me, the host, but if my body doesn't, is not compatible with those cells, because let's say somebody's a different blood type, those cells from that person, and those because those stem cells were grown in that person's microenvironment yep. with their blood type and everything, when you put those stem cells into me, my body could reject it. And that's what's called graft versus host disease. And there's actually a, a different way, and it's very, very rare from what I understand, but there's actually a way that the graft can reject your body. Yeah. Yeah, which is horrible. Horrible. Yeah. You rot, you basically rot from the inside, but um, that obviously doesn't happen as much. That's... Um, but you're... But you're right, the graft versus host disease is going to cause, um, you know, immune... Rejection. Immune, yeah, it's immune rejection and adverse effects that are not expected. Yeah. Right? And that's why um, with something that's done often is, like, say, a liver transplant, um, that's why those people who get liver transplants have to be on... Immune suppressants. Immune, so much yeah. immune suppressants, like a ton, like crazy amounts to the point where they can't get the cold um, because their body will reject that new organ yeah. and kill the person, which is awful, awful, we, you know. But we're finding, like you said, we don't know. Biology is, is crazy. We don't know everything about it, and we're still, I wouldn't say we're fighting, but we're working with Mother Nature, yeah. and I think we're getting, I think we're getting a little closer, so. There was this exam, there was this uh, thing I don't know how popular it became, but because I'm interested in this field, I ran into it for my For You page and stuff. Um, this man was given a pig's heart. Yeah. And the transplant was successful. The man was alive, but the amount of drugs he had to take to suppress his immune system, like you said, that meant that that guy couldn't even get a cold. Because if he got a cold, his immune system doesn't even exist yeah. because his... The, the only way that man is living is because his immune system is not fighting his heart. Yeah. That heart is not from something that matches his blood type. I can't believe they would even allow that surgery. That's crazy. It was great to see for science. Yeah. But, but like... Also terrifying for that gentleman. Yeah. Terrifying. I, 
I've heard stories. One of the first times I actually got you know heard about stem cells, and kind of got interested in them, was uh, my my junior biology class, or maybe it was my senior anatomy and physiology class um, in high school. But um, my teacher talked about how she knew somebody who had um, cut off their finger on accident. Like I don't know how they did it, um, but their but their brother was in. Um, regenerative medicine okay and he gave him like a vial uh, like a not like an unmarked vial but about he said rub this on your rub this on your nub on your finger three times a day and she said within like six months he had a fully functioning finger again from pig stem cells he got the stem cells from the pig that's insane. isn't that crazy so that's even insane. just like how many I mean there are definitely people out there who have accidentally cut their finger off or you know, lost like the, even just like the the tip of their finger, and like it still kind of feels weird to touch. Even if you could just rub something on that and just get that little piece of skin back or get that finger back, you know, it, it, that's like that's incredible. And that's and that's one thing I think that people, when we talk about stem cells, and it's scary. Like, oh, we're gonna, you're gonna grow a third limb, or um, what was the study? Who did the study in the '90s where they were growing the ears on the backs of the mice? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, that that's been brought <laughs> up in my classes a couple times, just because of the general consensus of, oh my God, stem cells, like it's scary. Yeah. Um, and I think I think um, a topic that I'd like to talk about, I'd like to talk about with you, um, is, you know, and I think it's important for people to hear and understand where we get these stem cells from. You know, um, is it kind of how invasive is it? How and the ethics that go along with it? Like how how does everything kind of work? So um, get, there are layers to this to this great field. Um, with that, yeah, go ahead. With that finger cutting example, it just goes to show you how insanely amazing biology is. Also, absolutely. Okay? So let's 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 to our listeners. Imagine if you cut off the first two digits of your finger. Okay, your pointer finger. How does your body know which parts need to grow back? Why doesn't it just sort of put a little layer on top of that to kind of protect it? Yeah. How does it grow back those two, two missing things? That means your body has some sort of positioning system where your finger cells know that they're a finger, your bone cells know that they're bone, and that if you need to give them stem cells, they need to know that I'm a pointer finger and I need to grow back these two digits. Isn't that amazing? One of my favorite realizations that I had, you know, trans, you know, transitioning from gen- learning general biology to going into more genetics is, and I, you know, maybe maybe I just totally was like missing the plot, but I, you, every single cell in your body has your full DNA, your full complement of DNA. It's just what's turned on and what's turned off. Right? That's so true. your bones, genetically, everything's turned off except it's saying you're an osteoblast or you're an osteoclast. Yeah. Um, and, you know, your nerves, like your nerves, like even from your central nervous system to your peripheral nervous system. So your, your, your spinal cord, you know, cells, those have completely different genetic um, you know, turn like you know what's being turned on, what genes are being Genetic used, what expression. Ge- yeah, what what the you know, it's the genome. What what genes? All the genes are being expressed in that cell, right? What's turned on? What's turned off? It's different in my eye. It's different in my brain. It's different in my spine. It's different in my toe, right? <laughs> and you no, know, and it goes to every single thing, and it makes that pig the you know the finger thing so much cooler because. Somehow it knows. Somehow they could, Somehow they nature knows. They oh, they absolutely they communicate, communicate with within their microenvironment. Yeah. They communicate within the organs. Itself. Well, it goes back to the definition of what tissue is. It's cells coming together to perform a function as one. They have to communicate to do that. It's like playing on a soccer team. Yeah. If one guy's just dribbling up the sideline the whole game and he's not talking to anybody, no one's talking to him. Like. That's not a team. It, that's not that's, a team. You're yeah. not you're not performing the function of playing soccer and, and winning the game. Yeah. But if you play as as a full eleven and you function as a team and you get the job done, you score the goals, you win. You know, 
that's kind of how you can look at, at tissue and cells and, you know, the hierarchy of these things. So, I don't know. It's, it's amazing. It's Biology is fascinating. And understanding that life is a combination of biology, chemistry, and physics. Um, and, you know, a lot of people leave out the physics part. I should have paid way more attention to my physics <laughs> classes. Um, and I will, I, will, I will admit that 100%. Um, but I feel it, like biophysics is different, though. The physics, physics the physics is different. Of, physics we learned in school is like if this ball drops from this building right. and there's this much velocity, horizontal going. But it's also important to understand the physics of the body of pressure in, in the ears yeah. and blood pressure. Yeah. And um, we it can even be brought into microenvironments because if you're looking at... Strength of a tendon. Strength of a tendon, right? How much strain is being put onto that? How much force can you put on that without it tearing? Yeah. Um, we had a professor come in last week who, who was a tissue engineer who specialized in tendon and ligament um, regeneration. And it was absolutely fascinating because um, he was working with, I believe, rabbits and taking out, he would give, he would implant stem cells after they would go in and surgically cut them. And then he would you know, euthanize them, take out the take out the shoulder and put it on some machine and they literally saw how far it stretched until it literally snapped. Um, and you know, that kind of testing is so important. But think about all the pressure that's built up when you're moving your joints and how all the air is moving through my lungs, up my esophagus, through my mouth and how my tongue is allowing me to talk. Yeah. Right? Like it that all, it's all physics. It's all it's all physics. Acoustics. All, Acoust all. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, that's the sound, and there's yeah. the light of you know going in Red the eye, eye and, and there's that. the light of how UV light affects you know oh, yeah. your vitamin D production, vitamin D that. production, and how it can cause cancer. Yeah, right. How it can cause um, mutations in your DNA and your skin to cause melanoma. So you know it's it's a combination of all the sciences and understanding that. And that's, I think, where people get mixed up is they think that it's just one answer. No, there are hundreds of causes, hundreds of places where things can go wrong because you forgot, you forgot to put in one variable, right? And that's why it's so expensive to create these cell therapies and to create new drugs is because of all the variables that occur. So... Um, I'm excited to see all the things we're going to talk about. Yeah, I want to. I would like to close. I would like to close this first podcast out with an unbelievable definition that we found um, in a in a second paper, um, and you know, we talked about we talked about regenerative medicine in a ton of different ways today. Yeah. We talked about it in mesenchymal or mesenchymal stem cells. We talked about it in the sense of hematopoietic stem cells, which is something we can go over in a later episode. Um, we talked about tissue engineering. We talked about genetic mod modifications. We talked about Nanometer. nanotechnology. <laughs> and then it's wild because we have to talk about all the, everything that that encapsulates, the ethics, how the FDA is going to, you know, run, you know, all these new cell therapies and systems. And um, I think that there's a lot of interesting topics to talk about. Our goal to stick to our first part of our mission is you know to allow people to who may, might not ever have a background in science that they can listen to us and they can understand and have a little bit of a grasp on this regenerative medicine field. Um, so we're gonna try our you know we're gonna try our best to kind of and I, to dumb it down is the wrong way to say it, but we're gonna try to make it democratize. Yeah, it. Like yeah, we're gonna try to make it you know like you want to listen. Like I don't want. I don't want listeners to come on to this podcast and be like, this sounds like I'm sitting in a lecture hall. I don't yeah. want to sit in a lecture hall. I'm running on the treadmill or I'm, yeah. I'm walking my dog. Like, I don't want to sit here and listen to you lecture at me. I want it to be interactive practical. Um, and practical. Yeah. yeah. So um, so this, this is an unbelievable um, definition. So it's by Mason and um, Dunnell. And it was actually written in 2008. So we're recording this in 2022, and we're talking about this new field when stem cells have been around forever. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, they. This is what they said after you know five pages of explaining it. They came up with one sentence, and they said regenerative medicine replaces or regenerates human cells, tissue, or organs to restore or establish normal function. 
So the goal of com combining all of those therapies of cell therapy, genetic therapies, um, nanotechnology is all really so that the people who might not have a normal functioning, but like normal functioning bone marrow, you know, can make, you know, blood cells that will actually work in their body. Or um, I like, you know, I like sickle cell anemia. I like really studying that. Um, I think that the way that we're treating that now with fetal hemoglobin, which is something we can go mm -hmm. over again um, in another episode, um, that's super interesting. Beta thalassemia, how they're treating that with lentiviral vectors and mesenchymal stem cells, unbelievable. So, you know, talking about the blood, I can easily off my head talk about two different types of stem cell therapies. Yeah. So it, it's so vast. And I think Kaplan in his paper said that at the point when he wrote this, which was 2012, I believe, there were five, no, there were, it was like 150 to 200 clinical trials involving the science of regenerative medicine. And now I think there are like thousands, have to be thousands. I think there's specifically with MSCs that Dr. Kaplan mm -hmm. specifically um, it's like 400, 500. Five, close to four to 500. That's incredible. Worldwide. That's incredible. And another thing that I feel like is important is like the future of medicine is to bring back quality of life. Yeah. If you're, if you're hurting somewhere, you shouldn't take something that reduces your pain like aspirin or Tylenol. You should get something that regenerates you so you can have back that quality of life. You can go play that sport that you want to and you can't anymore because of some shoulder pain, some elbow pain, some knee pain. You shouldn't have to suffer anymore, you know? Yeah, I Something totally as mundane as playing sports is what brings life to people. Yeah. You know, and, and, and helping people heal like that is just, that's just like the surface of it. There are people that are dying from cancer that just want an, another day at life. Right. We're talking about people can play sports Stem cells right now, in the, the, the field that we're in right now, the focus is up for, f to focus on those people that just want one more day on this earth. Yeah. You know? So, all right. Well, I want to thank you guys for listening to this first um, episode of Cells to Cell. Um, we are going to set up an email and social media accounts. Um, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple um, if you want to listen to us. Um, and in the next episode, we should have an email set up where if you guys have any questions, um, you can go ahead and shoot us an email. We're going to try our best to um, answer that and incorporate that in our next episode. Um, we would love some feedback, um, and we appreciate your time, guys. Thank you very much.